new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. We hope you're having a great day or a great night whenever you're listening to this podcast. And again, uh, shout out to all the listeners. Thank you so much for listening with us and uh, hopefully you're enjoying each and every episode. And uh, yeah, let's get right into it. So on today's podcast, we have Dr. Leslie Ellis, and she is a teacher, author, and psychotherapist. She is currently offering online dream work instruction based on her book, A Clinician's Guide to Dream Therapy. She also offers individual dream work sessions and training in somatic approaches to psychotherapy. Leslie has a PhD in clinical psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and a master's from Pacific Graduate Institute. She is a vice president and a certifying coordinator with the International Focusing Institute. Dr. Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to talk to you because there's not many people in the world that focus their, their career on dreams. You know, me being one with the grief dreams, but you have it with the therapy. And I really am excited to hear, you know, what got you started into that field and what your experiences are focusing on dreams with people. Because I would think that it'd be very new for a lot of people to have that experience. So the first thing first is how did you get into dreams? Is it something that you um, had a lot of as a kid and you're like, I want to know more about this stuff? Or did you learn about it later on in life? I have always been interested in my dreams. I've always kept a journal and just tracked them and talked about them and found them fascinating. So, you know, I think there wasn't necessarily one particular dream that that, that kind of hooked me and, and, and made me super interested in them, but it's just something I've always found fascinating. I really enjoy anything that's mysterious and unexplained and, and uh, they still have that kind of magical quality for me so it was always kind of an uh, you know just an interest and in something I'd, I'd I'd write them down and talk about them with other friends who were interested and then it wasn't really until later in my career that I got way more directly interested in dream work I was a journalist for a, a, about 10 years after I finished university and then I got really interested in or just more in the in the personal stories of of the people I was interviewing. I was a business writer and science writer, so I just started, you know, being more interested in in what was underneath. And I so I went back to school and I got my my uh, master's of counseling psychology at Pacifica Graduate Institute, which is a Jungian oriented school. So as part of my training, we learned a lot about dreams and dream work. And I just remember sitting in, in one of my, like the first weekends at Pacifica, which is in Santa Barbara. So I got to travel to Santa Barbara to go to school, which was lovely. And uh, Lionel Corbett um, was, uh, was there. He's a Jungian analyst and a wonderful teacher. And he did some dream work. And I remember just sitting in awe of this process and me and all of my classmates, in fact. And it just seemed to... I don't know, really just drop into such depth. And we were all uh, just sort of brand new practicing our te therapy techniques and feeling quite clumsy. But it seemed like the dream process really just made it so much richer and deeper. And so I was really lucky, in fact, that, you know, as a, as a therapist, I learned about dream work in a very rich and, and um, deep way, right, uh, right as an intrinsic part of my first training. So that's really what got me so deeply interested and and that was more than 20 years ago so now I'm um, I've, I've worked with dreams throughout my um, career as a therapist and I've just they just haven't disappointed me I find that when clients bring dreams that the sessions go so much deeper and they're so much more creative and and I think satisfying for the for the clients as well what kind of reactions do you get when you talk to people about you know sharing their dreams is it something that they come to you already like knowing you do dream work or is it something that they come to you and then afterwards they realize that there may be something to dreams so it's a bit of both i do find that because i've put it out there that dream work is one of the one of my preferred ways of working i get a certain percentage of people maybe a third of them that come to me specifically for that 
or I also use an embodied technique called focusing. And so sometimes it's it's a combination of focusing and dream work that they're after. But I would say more than half of people just are looking for some form of help with their uh, whatever issues they're up against. And that dreams are not necessarily something that they have spent time looking at. So I always mention it at the beginning of a, of a, a course of therapy that I, if they have dreams, that they're welcome. And a lot of times people will say, oh, I don't actually dream or I never remember my dreams. Uh, so I often will tell them just by virtue of my asking that question, you might find that you do have some after this. And very often they do. And very often once they bring a dream and we work with it, they become very um, interested in their dreams and in bringing more of them. They really find that they they just get so much more invested in the therapy process and, and interested in their own dreams. And then because of that, they seem to have more dreams or remember them or track them. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it often brings them into their dream life in a, in a deeper way than, they, than, than when they started with me. Wow, that's beautiful. It's so beautiful to sort of see people growing in the tools they use and how they even can view dreams. Like they've had it like their whole life, but it's like once you explain it to them in a certain way and, and process that dream, it, all of a sudden they're like, you know, I've been underutilizing this <laughs> this tool all my life. What's going on? So it's almost like a kid getting, you know, like, I don't know, a, a bike for a first time or something, right? Like I can see people get really excited to have that next dream like what else am I going to find kind of thing yeah exactly I have uh, I can think of a, a, a couple of clients in particular where they started off really not liking their dreams uh, one in particular had so many um, gruesome and gory dreams lots of violence and and the way we worked with them they became more interesting and more nuanced to her not just something that was you'd wake up with this sort of icky feeling, but we just sort of unpack them and, and go through them and treat them as though they're metaphorical and not so literal and really just spend time with, with her dream life and the way it presented. And after a while, she would just, she started to befriend those kinds of dreams and see them as um, the more intense they were, the more likely it was that she would have some kind of a, a big realization or a shift. So she would be really excited. She'd come in and go, I have a really great dream for you today. And it would often be one of those really gory ones. But the, but the, the, yeah, that seemed to be secondary to the fact that the dream was really full of energy and, and information that she could use. So I, I, I've noticed that most of my clients become real converts to their dreams, even even when the dreams might on the surface look quite distressing. Yeah, that's so interesting how when how you can change the perspective of the dream almost so quickly, right, with a conversation. And then people can just not have that distress anymore. Cause that's like that's such a huge issue. But now they can like even have excitement or like they it's just a change on how they see it, which would be so helpful, I would think, also to processing either their trauma or their their grief in waking life, like I can see it having an effect also in their, basically in their waking life to not being so distressed when they wake up. Yeah, it's so true. I think when people haven't had any experience working with their dreams, they tend to take them far too literally. And so they'll be disturbed by the images. When I think actually dreams tend to speak in these really extreme extreme language or, you know, flamboyant images or, or um, violent images to get our attention or to, you know, underscore that something's important, but that they're not always quite as dire as they seem. And in fact, they're, they're, their messages are very important, I think, when they present themselves in a dramatic way. And um, I know... I have one example that I um, my daughter often brings me dreams, and she doesn't mind me sharing the odd detail about her dreams. But she had one one day where she's she's cutting up a woman up into pieces, and she's understandably horrified by this image. It's so gory. Um, but it turned out that when we talked about what this, you know, what being divided was like or being cut up in pieces, that 
she just felt like she did, she was she'd moved to Montreal across the country to her first year at university when she had this dream and she was such a big outdoors lover and she was cooped up in in a small apartment in the city in the winter and she felt really profoundly divided and 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 it re, she realized through talking about this dream that that's what it was about it felt right that that's what it was about and that it was really important to her to find a way to um, kind of satisfy that part of her. And it, it made her make some changes, get, you know, she brought her vehicle the following year, went to the ski hill. She, she just did some things to take care of that um, part of herself that she felt like she'd left behind in Vancouver. And, and, uh, and then she looked at the dream so differently. She wasn't horrified by it, but actually kind of grateful for it because it helped her make some changes that made her feel a lot better. I have a question, and this can go to either of you. Is the, some of the fear or hesitation around dreams the fact that there's a lack of control for the dreamer of being able to, once they have the dream, navigate through it successfully or understanding it, or they just don't feel like they can control those uh, negative ones? I can start um, with that, answer to that. I feel like yeah, dreams are so immersive, and if people have, if they're dealing with trauma, memories, or or, or major losses, the dreams will often come uh, repeatedly, and they they help us metabolize emotion. And so, if the prevailing emotion a person's you know feeling in their life is terror or trauma or grief, then their dreams will reflect that, and they'll keep coming and you know bringing images that kind of carry those feelings and they're really I believe meant to help us metabolize those feelings but sometimes they're just so they're just so unwelcome I suppose that that even though they can recognize that it's helping it's hard to have them again and again so I have a good example from uh, a woman I did some uh, dream work with and talked about grief dreams with and she had her father had died quite suddenly and she had to travel to the um the service and she wasn't allowed to see the body for some reason i guess it was to do with their the rituals that they were doing and so she didn't feel like she got to say a proper leave taking and the grief took her by surprise uh, the the death took her by surprise and so she had dreams about her father over and over again and in them he was always quite unaware that he had died and he was talking to her as if nothing had gone wrong and she would in the dream have to re uh, experience the fact of his death again and again and she recognized that it was helping her to really uh, accept the fact and it does sometimes take a long time to do that especially if it's not an expected death and so she would I would say really not look forward to going to sleep and having yet another dream where she had to make, have this realization. But she will also say that the dreams helped her process her grief and that that was, um, you know, useful slash painful, but ultimately uh, healing, I think. That's interesting. And did those dreams change as you guys started talking? So she'd stopped having them at the time that we that, that we were doing dream work. So this, she was just telling me kind of historically that this was one of the um, one of the grief dreams that she'd experienced, and just just telling me about it. But um, had we worked with them, we might have been able to make them easier. I might have been able to introduce some experiential ways to really help. Uh, sort of glean what the dream is bringing more, you know, more efficiently and maybe with support. So it wouldn't have been such a, a long and difficult kind of process. But um, we didn't get the chance to do that because by the time I talked to her about this, it had been, it had been a, like a decade prior or something like that, or even more. Wow. Yeah. That's why it's so, I, I find this, it's so interesting now with, you know, the work I'm doing and also sort of the work you're doing in getting people to talk about these dreams sooner. And a lot of people hold on to them. They don't know where to express them or who to go to. And I, I really like now how the culture is shifting, it seems, to be more accepting that these are part of the grief journey and that there is valuable information that can help us as we move forward through life. And yeah, I see those dreams too, where you're trying to, especially if 
yeah, you're right. When people are maybe at a distance, it would take a long time, I would think, to really process that the death has occurred. Because I was thinking, like, if you're with someone, right, like all the time, you know right away, like every day, that that person's not there, right? That they're dead. But if it's someone that lives across country and you maybe only see them twice a year and you maybe call them, you know, maybe every month, well, it's going to take a while because you're going to reach out to talk, call, call them and they're just not going to be there. And you're like, oh, right. And so the memory of them being dead, it, it would probably take a while for it to um, really solidify. And I think these dreams would definitely can help with that. I believe all dreams are trying to help, even if it doesn't feel that way. I think that they're coming in service to our, you know, our emotional processing and that even when they feel <laughs> like they're very um, repetitive and difficult, that that maybe they're flagging a place that's quite stuck. And, um, you know, I, I do think that those are the dreams, like you were saying, that, that really do need to be talked about and not just kind of held inside. And then there's sort of like this internal loop that just keeps going around. And, and I think talking about them is so helpful and so important. And I just, if any anybody listening is holding on to a dream that really feels difficult and they're like my daughter with this, with this um, dream where she's chopping up a body is so it's embarrassing to have a dream like that. She feels like maybe people will think she's some sort of um, serial killer or something. And so I think those are those, the worst dreams are the ones that people tend to keep to themselves. And, and it really, we're not responsible for our dream content or, you know, the, the moral content is the, the rules are different in dreams and it's, just so important and so helpful to share them. You know, and I have to confess something that, and that I haven't mentioned on the podcast at all, or even to Joshua probably, that I used to have a reoccurring nightmare of spiders. And and then I remember I went to a workshop that Joshua was putting on. And I think we had there was he was going over uh, children's nightmares and how to work with children to get rid of some of those nightmares and i went i did the exercise at that time and i uh, i think it involves reframing it in a positive way and i haven't had that nightmare since and that's been at least a couple of years i think so thank you <laughs> yeah that's been my experience too with working with nightmares i actually i do a lot of work with nightmares and i honestly I really don't have very many. I can think of um, probably count them on one hand. I'm very lucky, but I found that the that working with them and uh, I usually have them go into the dream and then dream it forward. Um, that almost invariably the nightmare will stop or it will change in some way, and usually just uh, one time. And so it's it's amazing how quickly. Uh, it can be helpful and how and sadly how long people go without without getting help it's really um it's really a shame yeah i think there was always a little taboo about dreams like even i even doing this topic you know you definitely saw resistance within organizations and with people and even some religious organizations and it's always interesting like why like like, how did it get there? Like, how did people become so afraid of dreams? Because when you look in like scriptures and, and stuff in the past, it was a part of the culture where people had these, you know, people that their job was to look at dreams. But then somewhere along the lines, no one wanted to be that person to look at dreams. <laughs> like, I'm not really sure what happened. Um, but now it's getting back to a point where people can now focus on their dreams and say it's, it's okay. Like they're normalizing the fact that we do have these dreams and some of them are really weird and very negative, but we can work with them. And so do you have any idea maybe like what happened with that process? And are you seeing a, a change now, like with you working with dreams of an acceptance within the culture? In terms of like, I'm mainly looking at it in terms of the practice of psychotherapy and what I would say is that, I mean, clearly dreams were a central part of that practice when psychotherapy was first developed by Freud and Jung. And I mean, they really were all about dreams. And so I find it really disheartening how far away from dreams the profession has gotten. And I think it's from really um, a tendency, sort of a, 
to move toward evidence-based practices and science-based um, methods of working, things you can measure, things that it can be measured uh, quantitatively. So dream work is so not, does not lend itself to that kind of approach. It's not replicable or measurable in that way. So I think in the practice of therapy that, yeah, that, that shift in uh, bias toward very much scientific-based approaches put dream work kind of out in the margins. And and really, I think it stayed there because what happens is that the insurance companies that 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 really provide the the um, funding for a lot of the therapy that happens did, made a, a list of acceptable therapies. And unless there were at least two clinic randomized controlled trials supporting a particular therapy as evidence based. It's dropped off the list of things that people could charge for, um, bill insurance companies for. And so then the uh, psychotherapy programs dropped DreamWork as a central part of their program. So it's just like fallen out of favor because if you do DreamWork, you're, you're kind of, it's, it's kind of on the fringe. It's not considered mainstream. And so there's, there's that, I think, which is a, a huge factor in it. And I also think there's within um, just the general population, there's a there's a mystery to dreams. And I think we often dream of things that we repress, things that we are kind of difficult to look at a little bit more, the things that we might shy away from or conversations we might shy away from. So there's a, a I think, a tendency just naturally to, at first blush, kind of avoid our dream material even though it's really good to actually turn toward it. And so there's that as well. But I, I do agree with um, what your question implies, that there that there may be a shift toward dream, dream life and dreaming. It feels to me like the pendulum is swinging back away, um, that there's a lot more value being placed on, on sort of more individualized approaches and uh, qualitative um, research and 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 so and and just in general in the population, I think um, the pandemic has actually heightened people's dream lives quite a bit. So people are starting to notice their dreams, and I just see a lot more written about it, a lot more conversations about it. I think I think things are shifting back, like um, to, to from a less extreme to a more open-minded uh, approach to dream life. That's oh, so interesting to hear you talk about that because it just gives some clarity on on like maybe what happened. And I was always curious, but yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful for where the that profession that topic is going in the future. And since you mentioned the p- pandemic, have you noticed any dreams or dreams relating to the pandemic um, with clients that you're seeing now? Yeah, I I definitely see the pandemic uh, weaving its way into people's dreams, and when when it first um may you know when it first happened the dreams were much more directly focused on the pandemic on um sort of themes of of being ill or you know death related themes and i could see a lot of fear in those dreams and over time i think that the dreams have been more reflective of how of, of the ways that the pandemic is now it's part of our lives and it's affected everybody, but in to varying degrees, depending on, you know, what, what their line of work, obviously the, the um, frontline workers and medical um, staff, they have much more traumatic responses. So their dreams are much more like the dreams that, that kind of everybody had at the start. But I see a lot more dreams now where the pandemic is a little bit like, the background landscape of the dream. And there's, I also see a lot of maybe what Freud would call wishful fulfillment dreams where people dream of, I see a lot of dreams of people gathering and big parties and, and going out for dinner with their friends and doing the things that we aren't able to do right now. I see, see a lot of dreams like that. I think of people missing um, some of the activities that we are are so restricted now. So I had a dream and I, I haven't even told Joshua this you were in it so i had a dream where me and joshua i was showing him the city i went to school in 
Ottawa, our nation's capital, and we were walking around and I was showing him, you know, some buildings and, you know, we we're crossing a bridge and, and it was, uh, the mood was, uh, you know, fun and joyous. And, but in the dream, I remember I was getting anxious because people were close to us and I was really aware of, I started getting more aware of COVID and people keeping their distance and, people kind of weren't and there were some people who weren't wearing masks in the dream so i just thought that was interesting because it's it's you know definitely obviously covert related in 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 that way yeah i i think that that's a fairly common motif the the this the distance or the number of people or or traveling somewhere or you know seeing people that um that live in other cities or lots of dreams like that of you know, letting us experience the things that we're missing, but then some vague feeling of, oh no, I'm I'm doing something that I shouldn't be here. And then the, and then the anxiety about that creeps in. And I think sometimes um, that, you know, this is, it's such a strange time to be living in where there's this pervasive threat, but it's not visible. And so a lot of dreams seem to have a Kind of ways that they depict that uh, invisible threat, just a feeling of something uh, um, that that's you know n- not good but not not seen, and and so they'll have dreams where life seems normal, and then something will something in the dream will start to feel scary, and and uh, I, I see that a lot. That's so interesting, Sean. Yeah. Cool dream. <laughs> so you got to travel, but it wasn't as fun as you had hoped. Yeah, we had a good time. And then, you know, we were looking around the city and there was a lot of nostalgia in the dream about because I had gone to school in Ottawa and whatnot. And I guess we were re- re- revisiting that city. And you, I don't know if you've even been there, but I was showing you that place. But then this anxiety was like starting to happen because of the, the pandemic. And I was like, oh, my God, there's too many people. They're too close. <laughs> it's so interesting because when I look at my dreams, I still haven't had a dream with anyone wearing a mask. It's just like it hasn't. I'm not sure why that is, because I would think, because that's just something that's a part of the culture now. And I still haven't had that. Everyone always, it's just like a normal, maybe I'm just hopeful for what was and what will be in the future. Um, but I'm also watching a lot of like movies where no one's wearing masks either. So like, um, I'm not sure you know why that is. But, but I do like what you're saying, how people are having these almost wish fulfillment dreams where they get to gather together. And... You know, with the holidays fast approaching, I would think more people would be having some of these dreams because there's going to be a lot of families that aren't able to travel to be together or be able to see each other as they once did. I know my family canceled the the holiday gathering, and that's like there's like three or about two or three times throughout the year that we actually get together, and all of them are going to be canceled by the end of this year. And so I haven't seen them in a long time, and there's a part of me that you know that that longs for that. And so I'm really curious, you know, your your perceptions on maybe dreams people may be having over the holidays. Yeah, so far, I haven't really seen that theme come up a lot, but it's only just, I would say, in the last week or two that we're starting to realize maybe we're not going to get to meet for Christmas. It's sort of been incrementally getting worse and the restrictions have been, um, you know, it started, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I think that the truth of it is starting to dawn on us. So probably those kinds of dreams will show up now that we're getting close to December and people are, you know, seeing sort of the Christmas lights go up and and having to cancel plans. And I feel like it's a, it is a form of grief that we don't get to um, gather and spend time with our friends and that our, I think we're all sort of suffering this um, loss of connection that, that feels manageable in in the moment, but I think cumulatively it's really starting to be very painful for people. So I see dreams of that, of isolation, of feeling lonely, or or the opposite, of feeling of, of a gatherings and big crowds and, and, and reunions. And so there's a kind of a dream, the dream is really, ta- those kinds of dreams are opposite, but they're really talking about the same things. And I expect those kind of dreams will, will, increase as we head toward the holidays because i think people are really starting to feel the the loss of connection um, that's pervasive right now yeah and i can i can see two kids longing to sit on santa's lap and they may just have that dream where 
they meet Santa or something, right? Just so to get that experience. Yeah, and dream of them, you know, wearing masks. Or I haven't had the mask dreams either. My my dreams have people without them, and I haven't been dreaming about Zoom meetings either. But that seems to be the way that now we're all connecting is over the internet, which is which is better than nothing, but not not the same. Yeah, I wonder too when it comes to Jesse's dreams of the deceased, because you know, I one of the functions of them is to continue to spawn, but to help people, you know, through know difficult parts of their life and that's something that you really see this trend in especially those positive dreams and so you know i've already had a couple people because like throughout the pandemic have had increased dreams of the deceased just almost providing them comfort and like just like a time together they weren't saying much but they were just like together and it almost like felt like they weren't so lonely afterwards you know as you said like being alone is is such a difficult part of you know the pandemic it's because we isolate because I just had a fear, right? And so I wonder, like, throughout the season, if people are going to be dreaming more of their loved ones to fulfill, you know, one of those needs that we do have is to feel loved and to feel that, you know, the family's together again. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's very likely, uh, especially when, you know, we're getting close to the time when we would naturally meet with family members. And it's, and the, and if there are family members who've died, that they're, absence is felt more I think more keenly at those times and like you I've I've you know met with a few people who've dreamt of um of family members who have passed away or or pets as well and that those dreams do seem to be coming up more and they are I know this is what you found in your research but they're almost invariably really comforting dreams really uh, uh like people who say haven't aren't in in the process of you know a present grief like the woman I talked to whose whose father had died and she was still coming to terms with it but sort of once the um the grief has been metabolized it seems like these these dreams these visitation dreams are really sweet ones and they're they're often I don't know they just seem to bring comfort and that's what you found in in all of your studies in this in this area yeah, and like, and one of the studies I did do was looking at an individual's dream journal, and after her father died, and what was interesting is most of her dreams of her father happened in December, and that was one of the significant times where they got together for Christmas. So I'll just share a dream, one of the dreams from there to give people an idea. Uh, so this is a dream the individual had. My dad arrives at the front door to let me know that he'll be with the family on Christmas Day. It's just a simple but loving dream where um, the individual realizes that, oh, like not only they get to see their, their loved one, but then for them to just comment on that they'll be there on Christmas Day could you know, only like open up a, a huge source of you know, warmth and, and love to help people you know, through the holiday season. Oh, that's such a gift. I do think that, um, yeah, dreams can be such a comfort that way. We've been talking about trauma dreams, but there are some dreams like this one that are just, I think, just so obviously just uh, helpful. I had just worked with a woman who dreamt about, she had, um, her cat of 20 years had died and she she had dreamt, uh, she was still grieving the, the loss of this this animal who was so so dear to her. And she otherwise lived alone and she, but she seemed to be, you know, quite okay. And, but she, she brought this dream that uh, her wood carving teacher had brought her three carved mice that were a gift to her cat. And she didn't know whether he knew that the cat had died in the dream. But I just got her talking about the, the wood carving and this person and it it was a person in her life, you know, uh, many, many years earlier, and he taught her how to carve. And she remembers sitting in his uh, in his shop with the fire going and the other people, they were all older than her and carving. And, and so it, it really brought her this feeling of warmth and connection and uh, also connected her to another, a family member, an uncle who had died, who was also involved in wood carving. And so that feeling kind of carried over so that when I kind of asked her about her, her cat, it was 
she was open and soft and she felt she really felt it in a in a in a way that was um I don't know, it was really it was really moving and I suggested actually that maybe she could carve those mice as a as maybe like a a, a ritual for or an offering to her um her cat and she just loved the idea and she found this dream to be so uh, supportive in in her grieving process. That's beautiful. No, I, I really appreciate you even sharing that dream because it does focus too on pet loss and how important that is to talk about, and especially on the holidays. So there's going to be some people that will be the first holiday without their their pet around, and what kind of dreams they may have, as and the emotions that they're going through. And so it's a really, I think, you know, when we think about those around us that have had a loved one die. Always think too of the pets that people have, you know, had passed, and to really, I think, reach out uh, and ask them how they're doing throughout the holidays. Yeah, well, I have a personal example of that uh, because I recently lost my beloved cat Shadow, and it was devastating to me because he was just a, a, a special cat. He was really friendly and and gorgeous, and and just. I just loved him so much and and I've loved all my critters. I have had lots of critters in my life. I'm a real animal person, but this was particularly sad for me because he was only about three years old and he was loved by everyone in the neighborhood. He had his rounds that he would go and visit people and, and made himself comfortable, mostly in other people's houses, in their dog beds. He would make, he was very, he was unafraid of anything, which might've been, um, might have been his downfall. I don't know what happened to him. He just disappeared one day. And I like to think that maybe someone picked him up because he was so beautiful and so friendly. But I, I really don't know. And so it was kind of a, a, a difficult because I kept looking for him. And and I was dreaming about him almost every night when he disappeared. And in my dream, because he always used to sleep just in the crook of my knee, just I would reach down with my hand and he would always be there. And so in my dreams, he was there and he almost felt re like I could stroke him. I could feel his fur and it was extra silky, like more silky than in, in, in real life. And uh, it, I dreamt about him. So it's like he kept coming back to me for, for, for weeks and weeks and he would come gradually less often and become, he was less silky and shiny over time and then started to just kind of fade away but those dreams really helped me uh just to just to feel his presence i was really grateful for them and and um you know it just it's hard to really put into words but i feel like those dreams were important and it's the first um time i'm lucky in my life that i've lost somebody that somebody a pet so close to me and at such a like he was way too young to 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 go so I just found those dreams, they were so vivid and so frequent and so striking and that they were just a clear uh, support for, for my loss. Oh, it breaks my heart to sort of for you to have to go through that. And it, and it also brings up uh, something I don't think we've ever really talked about is when do you grieve or how do you grieve for a loss that you don't know if they're dead or not, right? Like you're grieving that separation, but like the actual fact that if they're dead or not. And, you know, like I said, like, you just don't know. Is there, well, yeah, so I'm just curious, how, how, do, how do you even process that? Well, it's, it's hard because I know I was just um, occasionally, because I put my cat up on all these websites and occasionally I'll see feeds that come and there's somebody who had just posted that they'd, they'd lost their cat. And someone said, oh, you know, my cat came back after three months. And so sometimes I think, oh, you know, maybe maybe I'll, I'll see him again one day. Or you know, a, a friend of mine had had her uh, gorgeous cat picked up by another family and she just happened to be walking down the street a few blocks away and there was her cat and she just went, hey, <laughs> she took him back. Um, so there's, I mean, I don't think that's likely, but there's still this, yeah, this strange possibility that he's still alive and well somewhere and it makes it much more complicated to grieve it, it's it's really at a certain point I just gave myself a, a, a deadline kind of thing <laughs> no pun intended there but that I would just after you know uh, a few months of just saying that he's you know not 
coming back. If he's if he's died, then he's definitely not coming back. But if he's with somebody, I'm I like to think that he is. Then I'm probably not going to see him again, and to just kind of move forward. And I. I had posters up and I started to take them down. So the ritual of taking down those posters was like a, a, an admission that he was gone from my life in whatever form, but it, it makes it much more complicated. And I think that, you know, that sort of raises a, a, the topic of, of complicated grieving. And this is only one form and there's there are many, like the, the circumstances around a person's death and the ability to, to say goodbye or to say what you need to say. All of that stuff really matters and, and can make grief much more difficult if, if it doesn't if it doesn't really happen in the natural order of things and you don't get to have um a a, a leave taking. Yeah, no, it's uh it's like it also goes to like when I look at it with humans, it'd be like if someone got abducted or something or get got lost in a force somewhere and you just don't know, right? Like I know there's certain time frames where you'd think, but like how how hard that would be to actually finalize in your mind. Like you always have that little bit of hope that one day, right? You'll meet up again. So, you know, like I wish you all the best as you, you know, process that and continue to process that, especially over the holidays. What I'm really curious about, maybe some routines you had with Shadow or some memories you have over the holidays. Did he like just go after wrapping paper or ribbons? Did he climb your tree? Like is like is there any kind of memories you have of him? Yeah, well, we'd always get um, a stocking for all the critters, and he he would love to like just lie under the tree. He was a pretty mellow guy. He didn't necessarily rip things up. He was mostly good at just sitting in in the most uh, the place that would 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 maybe show him off to the greatest advantage, and he would sit around looking majestic and just this his presence. He was such a open-minded and gentle and friendly cat he was i, I mean I, I just looked at him and his attitude toward life and i remember one one time for example i don't think this was near the holidays but it was just uh, outside and we have a, a dog a, um, a quite a big dog a rhodesian ridgeback who looks pretty tough although she's so not tough but but one time she just went tearing right after Shadow, just trying to uh, dominate him, I guess, and just and stopped about, you know, maybe two inches from, from the cat, just tearing off and snapping and barking. And Shadow did not move a muscle, turned away, just gave a great big yawn and didn't even, didn't even get a rise out of him. He was just so self-possessed and I, I miss his presence. And I think the holidays will probably, you know, like I think we just tend to um, feel our losses a little bit more keenly um, during the holidays. Although I do now, I did get another cat. So uh, a big orange cat that's uh, still a kitten, so halfway grown up. So that, that helps too. I'm sure this kitten will definitely tear up the tree. He seems a lot more wild and, and mischievous. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, when you lose a member of your family, your pack, it, it obviously it's, it's difficult. And, I, you know, I just like to think that you have these good memories, like, like the one you just shared that you can kind of keep in your head and, and have that animal uh, in your mind and, and, you know, have that legacy kind of continue like that. And are there any things that you maybe keep around the house or maybe some rituals or maybe, um, some sort of uh some sort of things that you see along your journey in life that that remind you of shadow or that bring you a little bit of uh pleasant feeling or joy yes i am an avid photographer so i and and shadow used to come on hikes with me and so i have lots of pictures of him out in the out in the wilderness and he he really is a stunning was is a stunning creature so um, when when I'm looking through my photos, he's always in in them, and so what I what I might do, and I haven't done this yet. I think I might be ready now to do this, is to take a picture that I have of him that's particularly beautiful, and 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 put it up somewhere because I think that would really, you know, I, d I don't want to just um, kind of have him not be top of mind. I I think that you know it's really good to honor. Uh, honor him and honor you know any 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 person any pet that we have loved I feel like they're they're always going to be part of us and 
I I really feel like that that's something I want to do now. I'm just as I I often put photo albums together for uh, Christmas presents or frame photos and and so I've been <laughs> seeing lots of shadow photos and and really I actually honestly have been a little torn about them. You know, should I you know keep them here in in on my computer or you know should they be something that's you know more of a reminder and i'm leaning toward the latter of just including shadow in the pictures and 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 i think ultimately that that it's you know it's comforting to see him although i'm still not quite over it yet it takes time right and you gotta go at your own pace to figure out what's best for you and but you can sort of still acknowledge the fact that it is tough and said like it's complicated because once it's like another part of you once you put it up and it's like the hope of him coming back may diminish even further it's like you're acknowledging it even more so and that's just, it's tough right and you have these moments that challenge you and you know as a good therapist right you understand like these things will come up constantly and um, when people ask who that is right like or you know like they're it's going to bring up things but i'm glad you're acknowledging the the challenges because it just talks to everyone that's listening of the challenges people do go through after many types of loss and and this is a, a very unique one on the challenges of processing that but i'm you know i say like i think it's a great idea to be able to do that and to acknowledge him even more so uh, during the holidays and just keep him right there i know i have a picture of my father in my room that i look at and it just reminds me because i think the world gets busy sometimes and as much as like i think about him there's something about like stopping and just looking at the photo that really helps me and to remember him and different moments of my life where if that picture wasn't there i probably wouldn't take that moment yeah and i do think that we carry our our loved ones that we've lost with us when we do that and feel them a part of us i know i do that with my grandmother um, on my mom's side in particular i felt um quite close to her even though i didn't necessarily spend a lot of time with her uh, toward the end of her life because she lived so far away. Well, she's in Saskatchewan, but she just just feels like a part of me. And I, I especially feel her when I'm in the garden because I can always picture her in the garden. And so I feel like it's important to, yes, uh, acknowledge and honor those losses. And, and then they, st they stay alive in us. And there's something, I think, really powerful and, and helpful about that. And and I'm thinking about that myself and that, you know, my more recent loss of shadow, which is, um, you know, it's helping me think about ways to, to carry that, that way he, he was um, inside me because there was something about life that, that that cat really had figured out. Okay, so the final question we always like to ask people on the podcast is if you have, if you could have a dream tonight, or over the holidays, what dream would you want to have of Shadow or someone else who has died? Oh, interesting. Oh, you know, and I've just been writing this article on incubating dreams and how helpful they can be and how um, it doesn't work all the time, but when it does, the dreams that come are, they can be extremely helpful. So maybe I'll even try to incubate a dream where I'm just, I was talking about my grandmother and my cat and and I'm just going to try and, and have a dream where it's a Christmas gathering and, and everybody's there. My, my family uh, that I probably won't get to see and all of the family members and, and, and you know, furry ones as well as the human ones that, that, you know, we'll never get to see again in this life. That they're all there at this, uh, at this, at this gathering, a feast. I can just picture it and... It makes me, uh, gives me a smile. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, um, I love that. I love how um, it's, it's such a, it seems like a very comforting type of scene as well. What kind of food's going on in that feast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it'll have to be the classic turkey um, as well as, as my uh, grandma was Ukrainian. So I think there has to be at least one a great big feed of, of her famous pierogies, which I try to recreate and I never can because she just was so expert at it. But um, yeah, the traditional feast with some Ukrainian flair thrown in. Beautiful. Grandma's hands. Nobody makes them like grandma. That's 
absolutely, yeah. And her hands were always moving. I picture her with her hands always crocheting something or weeding or cooking and just just so efficient. She'd done things, these movements so many times and she could just, you know, just so, so nimble. I, I mean, even, well, she did have arthritis later in life, but, but my memories of her hands are just flying and just so, so skilled. Oh, that's amazing. Um, really, we really hope you get that. You can incubate that dream. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, I just want to thank you, Dr. Ellis, for coming on the podcast. Uh, this was really enjoyable, and uh, you know, we had a, a great chat with someone who obviously uh, you know is in the, the dream field and and uh, has that kind of uh, respect for dream therapy. And, and thank you so much for doing what you do. Yeah. So, could you give us uh, any handles where people can reach you and contact uh, you if they want to? Yeah, the best place to, you know, kind of find out about me and all the things I'm doing is via my website, which is drlesleyellis.com. And my name is spelled L-E-S-L-I-E-E-L-L-I-S. And um, everything, uh, the links to various other aspects of my work are there. I also have an Instagram account uh, called Dreams Demystified. And I do like your Instagram account. It really you throw little different facts about dreams, which I think are great for people to be aware of. So yeah, I follow that account and it's, uh, you know, should, you should too. <laughs> are there any pictures of shadow there? Cause uh, now I want to see shadow. Oh, shadow is he's on my website. Uh, there's a article I wrote about bereavement dreams. I, I quote your research in it and there's a big gray cat in the, in the image of that blog posting and that's shadow. Okay, great. I'm going to have to check that out for sure. I'm curious, uh, can you do dream work with anyone across the world or is it just Canada or just specifically BC? I've been doing uh, teaching and dream work with uh, over Zoom so that I'm not limited geographically. That's great. So uh, it just gives you that if people want to know more or want to work with their dreams, now there's an option for them. That's great. Excellent. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, everybody can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you like to, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, um, you can definitely do so. There are links on the website to do that. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And as always, we like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Myself, you have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.